This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey, everybody. So welcome back to another episode of Dune Talk this week. So we're, we're back again for a, for a special show. Of course, there's going to be more movie news, but today we have a special topic, which is the, the Dune board game. So really excited to talk about that. Um, this is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at dunewsnet.com. Uh, uh, I'm here today with Garen. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. This is Garen at dunecompanion.com. Super excited to talk about the Dune board game and other Dune news. So let's get into it. And we have a very special guest uh, joining us today. I'd like to introduce you to Jack Rita. So he's one of the minds uh, behind the, the Dune board game that is currently be, being published by uh, Gale Force 9. And uh, of course, there, there's a classic board game and then the, the new uh, new version for the movie that's coming out uh, right about this time. Uh, so Jack, uh, t- tell, tell our, our audience a bit about yourself. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk with you guys uh, about uh, anything Dune related, uh, but in particular, the games. Uh, I, I'm a member of Future Pastimes. I'm working with the original designers of the Dune board game from 1979, which uh, was republished by Gale Force 9 in 2019. And uh, I'm one of the designers on the first expansion that came out last year, Ixians and Tlilaxu. And I'm one of the designers on the second expansion, which is coming in the coming, coming a few months from now. It's Choman Riches. Uh, but I'm also one of the designers on uh, Dune, a uh, game of conquest and diplomacy, or we, we the shorthand we call it is, is uh, Dune Conquest, which um, is a it's a streamlined and fast paced version of the classic Dune game. And all of the art and art direction is directly from the movie. And uh, so getting to work with the original designers uh, and and Greg Alaka, who's a son of Peter Alaka, one of the original designers, the five of us uh, collaborated on Dune Conquest, which debuted at Gen Con uh, and in, in stores uh, imminently. It's, um, the ship is docking in Maryland uh, at any moment and, and then it'll be deployed to the rest of the country and the world and beyond. So real excited to do that, um, to be able to talk about it uh, and work on that game was, uh, was really a, a dream job. And it's really exciting. I, I just reviewed a review copy and I'm really impressed by like overall, like the, you know, the, the contents, the, the quality of the materials. I uh, haven't had a chance to actually get, get together with a group and play it obviously in, in this time, but like, uh, yeah, re- re- really hope I'll get the opportunity uh, really soon. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so how did you first get involved with, uh, with the design team and get on board to this uh, project with working on the Dune sure. Uh, the you know the designers of Dune uh, had another game that they designed that came out a couple of years before called Cosmic Encounter, and um, and that has been my favorite game for as long as I can remember. And um, I was uh, one of those super fans of Cosmic. I have a website called The Warp, which uh, chronicles all things Cosmic. And really started to tinker around with custom expansions of my own for Cosmic Encounter, and it caught the attention of those designers, uh, Bill Eberling and Peter Alaka. And uh, I got to actually contribute some designs to expansions to Cosmic that Fantasy Flight Games had been publishing over the last several years. And uh, so working with them and just um, becoming friends with those designers, uh, we really struck a a great rapport. 
they enjoyed working with me and um, the feeling was mutual. And they said, you know what, we really would like you to join Future Pastimes. And so it's now the four of us. It's Bill Eberly and, and Peter Alaka and uh, Peter's son, Greg. Uh, uh, the four of us are Future Pastimes. Uh, Jack Kittredge, who was uh, one of the original designers of Cosmic and Dune. Uh, he's not part of Future Pastimes, but he still is involved. He, he was involved in Dune Conquest's design and, um, and as well as the expansions to Classic Dune that we've been working on. So it, it's great to be able to work with these. Um, they're really our giants of game design. They're so far ahead of their time in, in game design. And it was just my love of their games that taught me game design. So getting to um, be part of Future Pastimes was really a dream come true. And um, one of the first things that uh, we were tasked with working on after I joined was Dune Conquest. Uh, Gale Force Nine said, look, the movie is coming out. Um, Legendary has all this great um, uh, imagery that we could use for a movie. And um, we really think there's an opportunity to appeal to a mass market audience, not just hardcore gamers, but casual gamers as well, um, and introduce them to the Dune board game. Uh, the Dune board game, to be fair, is a, is a real uh, chunky board game. It's a, that's what I call it. It's real gamers game. Uh, there's a lot of depth and sophistication to it. And a typical game of classic Dune can go for three to five hours. Mm -hmm. And we felt that that might be too much of a daunting experience for a casual gamer. They just come out of the theater and they've seen Dune uh, or grandma was at uh, the Target and said, oh, I'm sure Johnny would like a copy of Dune. And, and they open it and a five hour gaming experience might be too much uh, for, for people new to that experience. So we really wanted to cater the, uh, a game that had a lot of the mechanisms for classic Dune that people really liked. They love the battle wheels and that whole aspect, uh, the traitors uh, and the treachery cards, but we wanted to streamline it and really make it uh, appealing. And so it is a fast paced game. It, and most games are under an hour. Uh, it's a great two player game. There's a couple of different modes. You can play any of the two factions against each other, but the game comes with these double faction sort of alliance factions uh, that you can play for another special two-player mode. So that was uh, a, a real treat to be able to work on that right out of the gate, uh, joining Future Pastimes. Nice. And, and taking a step back, what, what got you into the world of Dune in the first place? Like, how did you discover the, the books, the games, and, and all of that? Well, it, it was uh, the board game was my very first taste uh, of Dune. I had a, a group of friends uh, growing up in Detroit, that um, we enjoyed playing games. Uh, we played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And um, one day my friend said, hey, I've got this board game based on Dune. And I was like, what's a Dune? And he said, well, just play the game and, and you'll see. And I, the, it was so immersive. And I was like, this is a fantastic universe. There's so much you know, just amazing detail and uh, points of interest that I immediately went out and got the book and, and read it. And so this is probably 1982 that I first was introduced to the board game and, and, and read the first book and um, actually picked up, it with, at the time, it was a four book set that went through God Emperor. So I just went from one book to the next. And uh, then we had the Lynch movie coming out. So it was, uh, for, for me, it was like, oh, it's such a great time uh, to be a Dune fan, not really understanding what uh, 2021 was gonna <laughs> hold in store for me. 
Yeah, that, that's really interesting because th th there seems to be so many different ways that people can get in into Dune, you know, because I've heard people who were introduced to Dune through the Lynch movie, uh, yeah. like through some of the merchandising, like Simon, who's, who's also on, on our show, like he, he came in because of the, the action figures. Uh, so it just <laughs> means that there, there's so much ways to get, get into this uh, universe. So that's uh, interesting that the, the board game was, was another way that people could discover the richness of this, this universe. But before we jump on, I wanted to uh, ask you, Garen, because I know that you've you've played the original uh, game before. Like, uh, how did you discover uh, that game? Yeah, really similar story to you, Jack. I think you and I are about the same age. A friend of mine uh, got the, the board, original board game for his birthday, and we were all over at his house, and he introduced us to it. I had already begun reading the book, so I was already familiar with the world. Uh, I was excited about, you know, uh, the Lynch movie coming out. But um, I just remember the, the experience being... I, I was 14 years old, so I knew there was a lot about the rules and the depth of the story that I didn't understand. So this richness and this uh, endless exploration of this world was so evident as it came through in this in this original game. That's that's really what got me excited about the depth of the story. So I was just I was just doing everywhere. I was reading the book. I was playing this game. I was getting ready to watch the movie. So yeah, I, I do remember it being kind of back in the day when like Avalon Hill was a big publisher at the time and you had kind of these really substantial war games. And I remember this being quite a complicated game. I remember, I think we played it for about two and a half hours and I could tell we were not nearing the end. So it, it is long, like you said, Jack, that original game. So what you guys have done with uh, you know, shortening the, the playtime, I think is ingenious. But yeah, I, I had kind of the same experience Jack did. Uh, I, I thought it was, uh, it just has all the rich uh, pieces and elements to create a really interesting gaming experience. So yeah, it was interesting back then. Yeah, interesting, looking forward to, to diving in and going into more details. Uh, but before that, let's uh, actually jump into some movie news. Dune Movie News. So today we actually, uh, right on this day, we had a major uh, update. So the final trailer for Dune has has been released. Uh, so it's a full uh, two and a half uh, minute trailer. It was first released on, on YouTube uh, via Warner Brothers, and it's uh, all over the place uh, uh, now. Def definitely some more, uh, more footage. Uh, so we, we, we got a few key scenes. Uh, this is one of the ones where I'd say... Uh, like if you're looking to avoid um, everything further, like before you watch the movie, you might want to skip this one because it has a couple of things that, you, you know, you, you might not want to see. Uh, but I say for the, for the rest of us, yes, it's, it's definitely like a fun, fun trailer to enjoy. Uh, so I'll start with, with you, Jack. What was your reaction to, to seeing this, uh, this new trailer? I am just kind of blown away with how good those ornithopters look. And I, I know, you know, for a long time, we've known that they've been described as being like dragonflies. And over the years, I've seen a lot of different artists take on what an ornithopter might look like. And it seems like a lot of artists have steered away from the dragonfly thing. It's like they couldn't make it work. They're like, it, that just doesn't seem like it, it would make any sense. And, um, I heard that they really tried to stay true to the description in the books. And I think they, they nailed it. And it really kind of gave me chills seeing some of that ornithopter action in there. Uh, the other thing I think is, you know, not, not to delve too deeply into spoiler territory, but certain scenes uh, involving uh, the Duncan Idaho character, you can, you can see how that's going to be played out 
And uh, again, I was just, um, I was, you know, just shivering with excitement at watching it. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. It's going to have a nice emotional impact. And uh, I just, can't, I can't wait. I, I was, I watched the trailer today multiple times, each time on a successfully larger device, just because I was like, I need to soak in all those details. Uh, Yaron, what, what was your reaction highlights from this uh, the trailer? Yeah, uh, Jack, I loved what you, you said about watching on an increasingly larger screen throughout the day. Um, first of all, I just want to go down as these, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the Ornithopters. I've talked a lot about this on the podcast. Um, they gave us some more shots we haven't seen before. They gave us one where it's resting, you know, on the, on the plane there. And I just am like, they have nailed this, the design, the movement, it feels real, it feels practical, but it's just downright awesome. So I'm just really excited about that. Um, I thought I thought this was a masterful trailer and to have it be the final trailer, if anybody's on the fence, you see this trailer and you're like, okay, I think I just need to give this thing a look because they just, every second was calculated. Everything is helping you understand these are characters I care about. It's got the actors that everyone knows about and it was super compelling and it just took me along in it. Obviously I know the background, I know the story, but to someone who doesn't, they're making it an intriguing story about this main character, Paul, but they're including all these really interesting character dynamics with the, with the extended cast. And uh, I, I just thought it was masterful, the sound, the music. I don't know what that score was. I don't recognize that score, that's okay. But I was just, uh, I was so excited. I just said, everybody needs to see this. And if you didn't love it, you need to just watch it again because it's amazing. I have to say, I, I really like this trailer. I don't know if it's my, my favorite one, probably, probably not. But I think like, as if we look at it as, as a whole, like the footage that had been shown and narrative with the, these trailers, I think it's, as you're saying, it is perfect for both uh, fans and for people who are not familiar with the material. Because if you're not familiar, you're getting this more understanding of the narrative, the character, what the conflicts are going to be, like some of the, the emotion, like you're, you're really drawn into like, okay, what's what's going on here? You know, I, I want to see more. And if you are like a, someone who knows the story, then you see the, these these elements that you're like saying like, oh, wow, you know, especially those, those, those last uh, shots towards the end. And also... Uh, for example, like we see more of more of Jameis. So like I'm, I'm really uh, interested to see like, you know, we're going to get more of that, uh, that character. And, and I, I have a feeling that that's going to make that uh, the final scenes towards the end, like much more emotional, uh, like having that, that character development beforehand. And then, of course, we, we get some two, two key scenes that are more towards the end of the movie. So, so that, that's why I was saying like, OK, if you don't want to see more, you, you might might skip this one but i, I say for, for general audiences it's you know giving the idea of like the epicness that's uh, that's coming and i just love how they they have handled those, those two scenes and in terms of narrative at, at the end i think it's making clear that this is just the the beginning so i think i, I like that feeling where they're, they're leading to you know like you know th this movie is is epic but it's it's the first part of something much larger and i and i hope they keep driving that that home like in, in the rest of the marketing and like moving forward after, after the movie uh, releases. You know, Marcus, I wonder if even uh, the studio is a little more confident with how well the movie's been doing overseas throughout Europe and, and, uh, and Middle East. I think for them to be able to feel some confidence and put it out there as, hey folks, this is just the beginning. I mean, that, that tagline is even there, right? 
that this is the beginning of something that's vast, expansive, and rich. And I think that comes through uh, very clearly in this in this trailer. Yeah, I, I think that, that that little insert of this is the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, the next version, I think it's really smart because I think that's true in multiple levels. It's not just the spectacle, though, you know, the Star Wars series and the Lord of the Rings, huge spectacle, which Dune is definitely going to have as well. But I think it also helps to prime audiences for the idea that it's a longer narrative that uh, they're going to want to tune into. I mean, Lord of the Rings is three movies and um, it's just one long, really compelling story. And, and um, for fans of Star Wars, it's the same sort of thing. They understand that each movie is a, is a chapter of a longer narrative. And um, I think that Dune has a lot of potential to keep that going as well. Yeah, and that, that, that's a great point because, you know, ov ov uh, overall, like the reviews that we were seeing for this movie were overwhelmingly pos uh, positive. Uh, but then like the topic came up, you know, like it, it feels like it's the, the first part or like, you know, it, it, it ends like halfway in the story. But that's by, the, by design. So like it, it's great that they're, they're making that clear and, you know, that this is going to be a, a big journey that's going to take place over, over multiple years and hopefully captivate like uh, all the generations who are, who are going to enjoy this. So let's um, go ahead to our uh, expanded uh, section where we're going to discuss in detail about the, the Dune board game. The Duneverse. Books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. So Jack, I want to just first talk about the original game uh, from 1979 yeah. a little bit, just so I can uh, understand that a little better. So. Um, you know, what, what insights do you have that led up to the decision to, to take this 1979 game and actually reprint it? I believe in uh, 2018 or 19, when was that? 2019, yeah. 2019. What led up to that? There's this really uh, active and thriving underground <laughs> Dune board game community that has existed for the past over 20 years because the Avalon Hill edition went out of print not long after the, the Lynch movie. Um, it's funny because right, right before the Lynch movie came out, they, they did a new cover for the box. It had a very iconic cover with the sandworm on it that for years, I think a lot of people thought that that was uh, from the book cover, but it was never part of the book cover. It was always the, the original uh, box cover, and they did a, a, a new box cover that had a character on it that looked suspiciously like Sting in the movie, and they said, yeah, let's tie into it, and Peter Alakia likes to joke that it was the kiss of death, because right after that, uh, it just, you know, it didn't boost sales because the movie was not as big a success uh, as they were hoping, and uh, and then Dune disappeared, uh, and this this thriving community they were desperate to play Dune, so they started making their own boards and making their own components and really keeping uh, Dune alive, you know, in the idea. It became this holy grail for a lot of uh, hardcore gamers in the gaming community. They're like, oh, I sure would love to play Dune, get my hands on a copy of Dune. I'm not sure I have the time or energy to build one out of wood or whatever it is. Some of these boards that I've seen are just eye-popping. Uh, and so... Gale Force 9, they um, negotiated a way to get involved in publishing Dune board games. And the first thing on their list was to get that Avalon Hill version of Dune. 
uh, and they wanted to revamp it. And what's interesting is there was uh, an artist, a Russian artist named Ilya, who had just volunteered to do artwork of the Dune board game for people who wanted to print and play their own version of it, you know, back in the day. And they said, look, Ilya's already done all this artwork and it's great. Uh, why don't we just buy the artwork from him so that we can get to print uh, as quickly as possible? So the original designers, they sat down with Gale Force 9 and said, look, we need to streamline the rule book because the original Avalon Hill rule book was basically three and a half pages long, which if you've played Dune, that it seems insane to me that that's as long because the new rule book is 20 pages long. So it's just a little more appropriate. But they said, let's quickly get this together, get it out to print so that we can really take advantage of having Dune out there for people to play. And it, it has done really well. Uh, there's been a it was a sort of exclusive version of the board game that Barnes and Noble had that had little miniatures for the storm and for the atomic uh, explosion and um, some other markers. And they have sold that uh, very well. Uh, that's the version that I got because I had to have the uh, <laughs> extra miniatures, which I painted. Uh, so, yeah, it was just uh, it was the right time. And it was a, it was a great time to, to get Dune back into the marketplace. And it has done it has done really well. We're, we're hoping that the Dune Conquest, the streamlined version will do uh, well uh, as well. Uh, and partly because when we we set out to design it, the first uh, design goal was to have something that would appeal to the mass market, to, to casual gamers. But we're all hardcore gamers uh, at Future Pastimes. So we said, this has to appeal to us as well. And uh, a lot of our play testers were just super fans of the classic game. They've been playing it for decades. And we said, look, if, if you like this as well, then we know that we were successful. And, and they, they really, they liked it way more than we even thought that they would. So it's a game that I think will have that cross appeal, um, especially to people who say, look, I can get in a full game of Dune in 45 minutes, an hour. Uh, and uh, sometimes I can't get six people to the table. So anyone who's played the classic game knows that six players is a sweet spot for that. It really shines at six players. You can play it with fewer, but it's a better experience with six, but trying to get six people who can say, yeah, I've got six hours that I can set aside in case the game goes 10 turns. Um, that's not always easy to do. And with Dune Conquest, again, two, three, four players, and four is the max at the moment. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to expand on and that depends on the next movie, I guess. But um, it, it is easier to get a smaller group to the table and have a quick game. And, you know, it's a game you can play with your kids or your parents as well. So it really has a wide appeal. And I think it'll do pretty well. Yeah, Jack, I think you guys nailed it because uh, it was right during the middle of COVID and I had my 18-year-old son, my 14-year-old son, and then a couple of my, my daughters. And, and we just we just hunkered down and and they had only been, they had only had experience playing like Ticket to Ride and some of these sort of, uh, you know, gateway games. And once we got the, the uh, rules down, it was really, it was really compelling. I mean, the alliances, the, the knowledge of, of how to how to win in yeah. battle and the different uh, strategies you use, uh, you know, with your heroes and everything. So I couldn't believe how quickly we got into it. And and it was it was it was about an hour to a little over an hour on, on many of the games we played. So, yeah, I think I think you guys did a fantastic job creating that game to be much more accessible 
and and not having to have six people with five hours to play. So yeah, yeah well well done. Next question: What was the inspiration uh, for creating the Ixians and Tleilaxu expansion set? You know the the prequel books that Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson wrote, so House Carino, House Atreides, House Harkonnen, uh, they take place uh, in a in a in a time frame where a lot of those characters could have been also involved in the original Dune novel, and um, so that and that was a part of it was that was a self-imposed constraint for the game. So we decided anything that we're going to add to Dune, it plausibly has to be able to coexist in the same time as Liet Kynes and and Maudib and and those characters. We weren't going to delve you know too far into the future and not too far into the past. So that was part of it. Um, the other is in you know, all over the years, there have been a lot of players cooking up their own expansions to Dune and the Ixians and the Tleilaxu are at the top of the list. Everyone's got their own brewed version of it. And, and actually Avalon Hill, they, they put out a, what we call a semi-official expansion in, in, in magazines. And so it wasn't really a, a full-blown expansion because you kind of had to make your own components. And, and the design, I think, was a little bit sketchy. I don't know how much they play tested it. So there were some ideas, but we said, look, this is, this is a couple of factions that are really interesting. There's a lot of good characters, and they really do seem to hate each other. So it seemed a great pair to introduce to the game uh, and so much rich material to work with. So that, that for us was a no-brainer. We, we said, we know we wanted to add a couple more factions, and those are the two that are at the top of everybody's list to what should we add to do. So it was an easy decision for us. And the expansion included two other uh, components to it. One was just more cards. Uh, we added a lot of new treachery cards and a couple of a new spice card, a new trader card. Uh, and then we added something called tech tokens, which was a way to address a couple of, I don't want to call them complaints, but there was, a, I remember a game we were playing and Greg Alaka was bemoaning that there just wasn't enough spice in the economy for him to do anything he wanted to do. Uh, and then we had a couple of games that went, they went pretty long. And I thought, and there, I wonder if there's a way that we could to just inject a tiny bit more spice into the economy, uh, but also perhaps have the game end more quickly with the idea of if you've got all three of these tech tokens, then they count as a stronghold. So that has proven to be a very popular component to the expansion. It's a pretty big success. And um, we were really thrilled with the design. We had a blast designing it. And uh, I, the Tleilaxu are my favorite uh, faction to play now, uh, and not just because purple is my favorite color, although I did insist that they were purple, um, but I just love the um, just the tension that it adds to the game as players are freaking out about whether or not you know their leaders are face dancers. And so that was the real, the real thing. Just that there was a quote in um, God Emperor of Dune where somebody says, we discovered that Everyone at the Ixian embassy was a face dancer. The entire embassy had been replaced. And I thought that is, we've got to tap into that. Just that idea of you just don't know who you can trust, even well above and beyond, they might be a traitor. It's just um, th just that added level of terror. And, uh, and they are, they're, they're despised by a lot of players, it turns out. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy playing them quite a bit. 
I, I love how you guys have really kept your finger on the pulse of the grassroots uh, gaming community for this and, and really taken like the artwork that went into the original game and, and the fact that people were creating other expansions. Um, I, I think that's really a great sensitivity you guys have to what players want and then, and then mixing that into what you're, you're creating and the expansions and, and now the, the newest game. So yeah, there's a there's a really active Dune board game Discord community. And I think they have about a thousand members now. And it's so gratifying to be able to tap into that community. And a lot of them have become playtesters for our, our latest uh, works. And it's an international community too. So we have playtesters in the UK and Germany and Italy and Canada and beyond. And just really being able to see the different play styles. It's interesting that um, a lot, to give you an example, the, the spice bribery in Dune is something that the original designers just never really did. It was just never a part. They're like, okay, we'll put it in there, but they just never really did that. And a lot of these guys in the Dune Discord, it's all about their spice bribing each other left and right and making deals and it really is a, a great dynamic to the game that has always been there, uh, but not everybody has leveraged it. And I'll confess, when I when I played it, when I was um, you know in my teens, uh, we didn't we never made deals with with bribes. We it was just cutthroat. It was like I'm coming in here to kill you and Arakeen, and that's it. I don't make a deal. If you're going to fight me for the spice blow, then it's a fight to the death. There's no split in the spice. And uh, just having that exposure to that, I think, has really opened up. And it's given us more ideas. So it's just great to be able to tap into that community of, of gamers and get their input, see what sorts of things uh, excites them about the Dune universe and the game in general and um, leveraging it as much as we can. So, Jack, looking ahead, what can players expect from the upcoming Chillman and Chess expansion set? Well, we're, we're really excited about it uh, because like the first expansion, it, it has basically four modular components to it, two of them being new factions. So the Chome faction is another economic faction, uh, but they've got some fun tricks up their sleeves. Um, and for, for instance, um, Peter Alaka thought it would be interesting if Chome was able to use all of those worthless cards that have no value to just about anybody in interesting ways. And we thought it would be a good way to really help to capture this idea that Chome has access to wealth. And we think, you know, the wealth is not just about how much spice you have, but Chome in the books is they're tied into every uh, aspect of the economy, um, just anything that gets traded or sold. So we thought that the one, the treachery deck really represented it. So they, they have a one card higher hand limit than the other players. They can have five cards. But we thought, you know, all those worthless cards, those are a lot of those are products and goods. You know, Jubba Cloaks, um, maybe they, they have a use uh, in the eyes of Chome. So that was one of the things that we wanted to, to take advantage with them. With Riches, uh, a lot of it was driven by the stuff from those prequel books. So this is a uh, this is a story about a family that um, they were on the cutting edge of technology, rivaling the Ixians. Uh, but then uh, Count Ilben was a, not a very good businessman. And he was so preoccupied with his family that the squandering their fortune and they were in, in dire straits financially. And so we wanted to tap into that. 
Uh, and then the idea of the no field um, was a technology that a Richessian uh, uh, inventor had tapped into and uh, was a little bit of a subplot in one of the books. And we thought uh, the idea of a no field in the Dune board game was really interesting. So they, they, have, uh, they have these no field tokens that they can place on the board. And when they do, you don't know how many forces are there. There might be none. Uh, and then they have uh, their own private deck of treachery cards that they have to sell. And it's just a way for them to sort of get back the money that they've lost. So there's some interesting treachery cards and each turn the rich S player has to figure out what they're gonna sell. Uh, maybe they hope that they can afford to buy it themselves because some of those cards are really good and it's part of the, the dilemma they have is, when do I put a stone burner out there for sale uh, knowing that it could be used against me and um, maybe, I, maybe I hold off on that one until later on and maybe I've got spice so I can buy it myself. So that's what's really interesting about those two factions. The other two modular elements, um, one of them is uh, what we call advanced stronghold cards. And we thought it would be interesting that if you've, if you've captured a stronghold on the board, maybe you should have a little bit of a home field advantage if you get into a battle in that stronghold on a subsequent turn. So these cards give you a little bit of an edge. Uh, each one is different depending on the stronghold. There's even a card for the uh, Ixian's hidden mobile stronghold from that expansion. So it gives you a little bit of an extra oomph if you get into a battle after you've captured a stronghold. And then the final thing is something called uh, leader skills. And I remember when I first played the Avalon Hill version, uh, I was the Harkin and, and I was looking at the leaders and I noticed that the, the leader disc for Piter de Vries, the artwork had all this circuitry kind of mixed into the art for, for uh, the character. And I was like, what's this all about? And my friend was like, oh, he's a Mentat. This is like a human computer. And, uh, and here, Thufer is, is also a Mentat. And he had a little circuitry art in his disc. And I said, that's great. What do they do in the game? And he said, well, they don't, they don't do anything. It's just, it's just flavor. And I was like, oh, I kind of thought that would, that would be cool. So I've always wanted to be able to say, yeah, let's, I want to have a Mentat in, you know, as one of my leaders or a Swordmaster of Ganaz or a Prana Bindu Adept or Sukh Doctor. So that's what these leader skills do. They, they let you get one and you assign it to a specific leader disc um, for your faction. And it's out front. Uh, so everybody knows that Piter is your Mentat or that Duncan is your Swordmaster. And it gives you uh, an advantage, but you have to make those decisions before everybody draws their traders. So now you've just created a target. And if you've got Duncan out in front of your shield with the Swordmaster skill and somebody draws the Duncan card in their trader deal, they got to say, you, you know what, this would be a great trader. Uh, but then, you know, Duncan's only a two strength leader. And maybe you also drew Lady Jessica. So now you got to decide which would be a better trader for me, the one with the, the leader skill or the one with the higher value. Because you could pick any one of your leaders to do it. And some of the leader skills, they give you an extra boost, like the Swordmaster one. If, if you've got that skill and you use a projectile weapon like a Chris knife in a battle, you get a plus three to your strength, which is a big deal. And if you've got a plus three to Stilgar, who's the strongest leader in the game at seven, that's a 10 strength leader. So it's very tempting to put those kinds of bonuses on a really strong leader or maybe put it on a weaker leader and now they're not so weak. So it's really interesting element and uh, I'm really excited to see people use it and see what they think of it. So let's um, go on to the <laughs> movie version of the game or as you was mentioning, Dune Conquest, uh, 
uh, for short. So I think you've, you've already covered this uh, earlier about how you wanted to create a game that was more accessible, you know, for people, maybe people who are not like as hardcore board gamers and they've just seen a movie and then they want to explore the world more. At, at what point did it become clear to you that this was going to be like a different game and not like a reskin of the of the classic board game? I mean, right away we knew that um, doing a reskin was first of all it just wasn't going to work because a lot of the characters from the, from the board game aren't going to be in that first movie. Uh, you know, there's no, no no emperor in the first movie, no fade, um, a number of other characters, a lot of the Bene Gesserit characters. So we knew that that was, wasn't going to work to begin with. And um, we thought if we're going to be able to leverage all this great uh, artwork uh, in hopes that a more mass audience uh, will want to pick it up, um, then we need to look at what's going to make uh, lower the barrier to entry for them. And it really the biggest thing that was a driver in the design was what would be the most fun to be able to do. So one, for instance, an example of that is we thought it would be fun for people to be able to go into battles right in the first turn. And um, so we wanted them to have access to the weapons and the defenses. In the, in the classic game, you start with one card and you get to a bidding round and, and maybe you can pick up one or two more cards. But a lot of times those first two turns, you don't really have a, a supply of weapons and defenses and so you're really not able to dive into those battles right away uh, for, for a lot of the factions. Um, so we said, let's just give everybody four battle cards right off the bat. Every turn, they fill their hand up to four. Uh, they've got a variety of weapons and defenses, two worthless cards and a couple of sneaky special cards um, so that they can really get right into the action. Uh, and we said, look, all those other cards that are in the treachery deck, let's actually put them in a separate deck. And that'll be the market deck. And instead of bidding on those cards, you can just buy them. You can spend spice to buy the cards. And it really speeds up the game tremendously. I mean, the bidding round is one of the longest and slowest rounds in the classic game because there's a lot of you're trying to read the room and bluff each other and and bidding uh, up and, and, and trying to get somebody to pay too much for, for a card. Um, so that takes time. And, and while as much as I love that, we said, look, let's get people in playing the game for the first time. They'll say, oh, I'll spend six spice, buy three cards, done. So that was the, the biggest motivator was what was going to be fun. It ought to be fun if people can freely move around the board so everybody can move three spaces. In Classic Dune, you, most of the time, you're only moving one space. So it really uh, the Classic game is really with a mind on the longer strategy. You really got to think couple of turns ahead. You get like, I can position my forces here now, but these other forces, I'm going to have to wait a turn or two before they are ready to, to move in. But with uh, Dune Conquest, you can get into the action right away. And because you can get into the action right away, we quickly realized we can't let people win the game on the first two turns. Otherwise, you've spent more time setting up the game than you have playing it. So that was one of the other things that we added in was that you just can't win the game on turns one and two. You have to wait until turns three, four, or five. That's when you can win. And if nobody is won by capturing three strongholds at the end of turn five, then it's whoever has the most spice, and strongholds would be worth five spice each. So you've got incentive to, to get into the action right away um, going after spice. Then you're going after strongholds, and, and then you're going after both. And 
the spice is public, so you know if somebody has a lot and you've got to go for those strongholds. Or if you're like, well, there's a couple of spice blows on the map, so I'm going to go for spice now, and maybe I can win in one of two ways. So that was that was the driving factor. What is going to get people into the action quickly? What's going to be the most fun? Uh, and what's going to make things easy? Just you know, one rule for movement. We don't have to have uh, the if you have Arakeen, you can move three. And if you're Fremen, you can move two. And otherwise, you move one. You're like, let's just streamline. <laughs> Everyone moves three. You can get to where you need to most of the time. Uh, you've got the weapons and the defenses. So go fight. Um, and, and yeah, stir things up right away. And you mentioned about the, the visuals of the, of the movie. And of course, you know, we, we've seen from the trailers or all the other materials that there's, you know, like rich visuals, a lot of a lot of imagination and uh, attention to detail has gone to creating like everything that we're going to be seeing on, on screen. And I, I know that when developing the board uh, board games uh, that you had access to some of those those visuals and other materials. So what 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 did you have access to initially? And was there anything that you learned from from that uh, from that basically movie content that sort of inspired you to take things in a different direction or create a completely new mechanic? We, we were given um, essentially a production Bible from Legendary, given access to it so that we could see what imagery was going to be available. And it was extremely helpful in, in sorting out what elements um, from the classic game exist in this medium that we can immediately use uh, and what's new. And there was, a lot of, there was a lot of new stuff, a lot of just amazing detailed things and we said, look, this, this thing is so cool. We have to make a card of it. We have to add this to the game in some capacity. So there, there are a number of new elements to Dune Conquest that are not part of the classic game. And, and we, in, a, in most cases, we plan to keep it that way. We're not going to cross-pollinate between the two games. We'll say, look, these, these elements are always going to be in Dune Conquest. And um, let's, let's take advantage of that. One of the other things we did learn was that um, apparently there aren't any poison snoopers in, in the movie, which is a big part of the du classic Dune game. There's a there's a nice one-to-one uh, -one ratio of you know poison weapons, poison defenses, non-poison weapons with shields, and um, we're like, there's no snoopers. How are we gonna how are we gonna solve that? We need some way to have um, a defense against poison and um, but there was something in the production Bible that we could we could leverage that would, would work that way so it was it was really useful part of it was a little bit agonizing because we we had access to that imagery a year in advance so we're seeing all these amazing details and things and we just can't we can't talk about it we can't show anybody all of our playtest stuff had you know, Lynch movie art, or it had uh, stuff from the classic game, or it was just blank. So it was, we're like, imagine if you will, just an amazing uh, ship, or here's what the Highliner would look like and stuff like that. So it was just, it was just a little bit agonizing to, to, to know that and just not be able to really talk about it or share it with anybody. But now that, now that the trailers are out, the movies being seen by people in some parts of the world, that's getting uh, loosened up a little bit, but there's there there are some great things to see in the game, and and I think um, I think a lot of people, again, people that they see all the movie stars that they really like, uh, being able to see them all in the game, I think is going to be very gratifying for them. And a lot of that imagery, um, they just saw the movie and they're like, oh, there's all this great imagery. It's in the game too, so it's it's just a really visual treat. 
And um, think, thinking about from the perspective of, I guess from, from both the perspective of people who have played the classic game or people who are completely um, new to, the, uh, to like uh, Dune board gaming in general, what would you say is the most unique characteristic of the Dune Conquest slash movie version? Uh, probably the, the most unique element is just the, 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 the speed in which you can, you can dive in. Um, the, the game has seven different phases to a turn. Um, so it's really compartmentalized and each phase is, is real simple and straightforward to, to be able to uh, execute. Uh, and probably the most complex phase is, is the battle. And um, the, the battle mechanisms uh, ported over uh, one for one completely from classic Dune. It's the exact same thing. You're, you're dialing the number of forces you're willing to sacrifice to win. You're playing a weapon and a defense. You're choosing a leader. Uh, and then the higher total between your, your sacrificed forces and your leader strength will win. The losers go to the Tlilaxu tanks. So that stays in there, which is great. It's one of everyone's favorite part of Dune. Uh, but yeah, it's just, just the, the quickness that you can, you can get in. Um, the rule book is, is, pre is pretty clear. You can, you can flip through it and um, get your game going in about 20 minutes and uh, you'd be ready to, ready to play. So it, it really is accessible, I think, to young audiences and, and older players. And um, I think that um, the, the other part that I mentioned before about having all of those hardcore gamers be play testers was that they, they said a lot of what they loved about the classic game is still uh, present in, in the new game. So it does have a little something for everyone. And um, being able to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm planning my strategy around the information that I know uh, and what I uh, suspect about the other players and what you know, trying to read what their actions are. I think I can still make intelligent decisions. So there is still that depth that um, exists in the classic game. Uh, and then it's just streamlined so that you can get through it quickly. We had a, we had a play test not too long ago, uh, just over an hour. They, they did three two-player games. And because the players, they were familiar with it. They knew everything. They got through it, and uh, they were like, this was great. We loved being able to do these, these quick games and still feel like we, we played Doom, and um, it, it still felt thematic. Jack, for those of us that aren't familiar with what goes into the process of, of, of creating a game, a board game like this, uh, help us understand the process to design the different factions and the strengths and weaknesses that each of them have. Sure. Uh, what we start off with is, is the thematics. And we, we sit around and we brainstorm what it is about the, the factions that, um, that we think of. And, and, you know, for like the, the Tlilaxu, for instance, we had a conversation about what it is uh, from the books. And it was just this idea of not being sure which leaders were um, face dancers or which were themselves. Um, obviously, they, they control the Tlilaxu tanks, and that is an economic element. So they should get some spice for that. So, yeah, we, we start with what would be thematic. Uh, and then we go into um, what would be interesting to do. And, and a lot of the game design ideas actually come out of being in a situation and saying, I sure wish I could do this right about now. And then we go, you know what, I'm going to remember that because that might show up in a faction. And, I, you know, like with Chome, 
Uh, one time I, I had to, I had a hand of four cards and three of them were worthless. And I was like, I sure would love to be able to do something with these worthless cards instead of just having to get into a fight. No, I'm going to lose only to that's the only way to get rid of them. So it, it, it's it's thematics. Then it's um, what would be fun to do. Uh, and then what's, what's just something that no faction is able to do right now. So the, you know, with, um, with the richess, we thought it would be really interesting again, to have that dilemma of you've got these cards, but you have to sell them. You've got to sell one each turn. And so going through and trying to figure out at any given moment, what would be good to get out there? Because there's some cards that you maybe do want to get into somebody else's hand as a way to foil what someone else is doing. Um, but they've got some flexibility with how they sell the cards. Um, they, they do basically two different kinds of alternate auctions. And one is um, they do a once around. So normally in bidding in Dune, you know, somebody will place a bid and then it goes around and you can keep bidding, you can pass, but then you can come back in. Um, but the once around, though, you have one opportunity to bid and the richest player can decide which direction to go. So he can say, oh, there's a faction on my right that has a lot of spice. So we're going to go to the left. Everyone gets one chance to bid. If you really want this card, you got to put up a big bid right away, because if somebody else bids more then you're done. And maybe that faction with a lot of spice will be the last one to go. The other thing that they can do is what we call. Uh, a silent auction. So you put however much spice you think you want to spend on that card into your hand and everyone reveals their hands at the same time. So again, you don't know what they're willing to, uh, to bid. You don't know if the emperor who's probably sitting on 20 or 30 spice, you know, like, I don't want him to get that. Uh, is he going to put 10 spice into his hand or is, or does he even care? And so not knowing what the other players are bidding you could be the one player who just bid way too much. And so it's a way for the richest player to uh, take advantage of that. And, um, and they can be the high bidder as well. So it, it's looking at those thematic elements and what is something that a faction doesn't already do is what I think interests us the most with the design. And with the Dune Conquest, you know, we started with existing factions. So there was an Atreides faction and a Harkonnen faction in the classic Dune. Well, you know, they each faction had two, three, four, five different advantages. And we thought, look, we're streamlining this. We've got to boil this down to one or two things. And so with the Harkonnen, for instance, the having the extra traders was really, we thought, the most interesting part of the classic version of the Harkonnen faction. So the um, Dune Conquest version, that's really the only thing they do. But we we really amped it up. So every time they get into a battle, they draw another trader from the trader deck and um, they can replace one of the ones from their hand. So it could be one that they already called or they can say, you know, you're probably never going to play this leader. So I'm going to put him at the bottom of the deck and now I've got a new one. It also lets them occasionally draw their own leaders and go, well, clearly nobody has Beast Raban as a trader because I just drew him off the top of the deck. So it gives them extra information about who's safe. And uh, they can really focus on one faction in particular by discarding the traitors of another faction and just focusing on somebody that they really want to go after. Um, so with each faction, we, we tried to boil it down to what was the most thematic and interesting thing about that faction, uh, drawing some of it from the classic game and some of it from just, you know, what 
what will be interesting to players um, new to this. So that that was the driving force for that. Yeah, so, so moving ahead, looking at the, the future of, of the board gaming. So we know that the Doom movie has been doing well. We've, we've been talking about the, the show, about like the, the great reception uh, overseas. And, uh, you know, it's looking more and more likely that we'll, there will be continuations. Um, and of course, there's the, the TV series that, that, that's coming in the future. Where would you personally like to see um, Dune board gaming go next? Is there like a specific theme or type of uh, gaming element that you'd like to explore? Well, I, I'm really enjoying that um, the other Dune games that have been coming out um, are, are very different in, uh, in what sorts of mechanisms that they have in there. So Dune Betrayal, a very different Dune experience, more of a social deduction game than classic Dune. And Dune Imperium, same thing. It has a, a very different uh, look and feel to how it's played. And so that's what interests me the most. I really like the fact that there are so many different ways that you can tap into the Dune universe in a gaming experience. So I'm hoping that we have the opportunity to, to continue to contribute to that. We've gotten to know the Dune universe pretty well over the years, uh, and we always have a lot of ideas. So I think that would be uh, a great thing to be able to do. And I do, I look forward to seeing what the, what the other designs are. And, and that, that Bene Gesserit Sisterhood series I feel like it's um, it's an opportunity to create new stories in the Dune universe, not just stuff that's based on a, on a book, which also would be great, but to be able to say, yeah, these are new stories, new characters that are in there, and that's going to be a great opportunity to explore in, in board gaming as well. This has been a treat for me, Jack, because I've always been fascinated with how uh, uh, it's not it's not the complexity it's just the depth and richness of of the original game and i love how you guys are are taking that it's already established there's already a, a large uh, community around that but to actually expand on that and to to take advantage of of some of brian's novels that are that are expanding the universe and adding that into your to your, yeah. your board game uh, uh universe is is just exciting to me i I think that's exactly the right approach. And, and it just, I, I've made an investment in this game and now I can add more to it. I just, I just love that. I mean, that's, that's a value to something I've already invested it in. And you guys are doing a good job of being very careful about how you're designing those expansions. So, so I just, that's, it's really fascinating for me to understand. Well, you know, we, we, we've been, using Tabletop Simulator, which really exploded in use uh, during the pandemic, unsurprisingly. But we'd been using it for years before because the four of us, are, are we're all in different states. Bill's in, Mass or in Maine, Peter's in Massachusetts, Greg's in Georgia, I'm in Virginia. So we, we're used to that virtual design element and we use Tabletop Simulator. Um, so yeah, I invite you guys, if you're ever interested and able to get Tabletop Simulator on Steam, uh, come join, we'll play, we'll show you some stuff. Um, it's, it's just really great. And the D Dune Discord community has really developed a fantastic TTS mod for it that streamlines a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. It looks great, it plays well. And uh, we just, we enjoy playing it as much as we do designing it. So yeah, join us at your leisure. 
Sounds good. Yeah, we'll, we'll include a note, uh, link to the Discord in the, in the show notes so that everybody who's interested can go check it out there. And as we were mentioning earlier, uh, doing a game of conquest and diplomacy, it's the release is imminent. Uh, so uh, hopefully it's just a matter of uh, a short time before it's in stores. Some people already have their, their copies, as mentioned, through, through Gen Con or like uh, review copies, but uh, it will soon be widely available. Uh, so a perfect way to continue your, your adventures on Dune after you've uh, seen the movie. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, keeping you up to date on, on all the news. And once it is available in, in stores, uh, we'll, we'll let you know. Uh, so I want to thank uh, thank you, Jack, so much for, for coming to the show. It's been re really insightful uh, discussing with you and learning about the, the board game. Uh, where can people find uh, more about you? Do you have a social media presence, websites, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, um, our, our website is uh, cosmicencounter.com. And so it's not just cosmic. There's a lot of doing and the other stuff that, that we design. Um, I, I do have an Instagram uh, account. Um, I'm not sure what it is, if it's Jack Rita or it might be Rita Media. So R-E-D-A Media, all one word. Um, that is um, that's most of what I do. I'm I'm a super user on BoardGameGeek.com. My handle there is the Warp, and um, I, I contribute a, a lot and chime in a lot of things. Try to answer questions when those come up as well. And so yeah, and on Discord, uh, I'm Rita Media there as well. Hashtag two one one one. However, yeah, however that works. So um, yeah, and, and I'm not shy about um, opining on anything Dune related uh, and board gaming in particular. So uh, people can feel free to reach out. Thanks so much. Uh, Garen, where can people find you? Yeah, Garen at DuneCompanion.com. And I just want to thank you as well, Jack, for, for opening this up for us. And it's just a, a fascinating part of the, the Dune fandom. And, and you guys are you guys are the leaders. You know, you're the experts in, in the board game <laughs> arena right now. And and I just think it's really exciting to understand that at a deeper level. So, so thanks for being on today. Thanks, guys. This was great. I enjoyed myself immensely. And uh, like I said, I'm always happy to talk about Dune. And this was uh, Marcus Gabriel. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Dune Newsnet and look forward to our next show where we're going to keep going into further movie news. Like as long as the movie is, is coming up, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff coming out in the next couple of days. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.